So, we are going to be looking at what is really possibly probably the greatest event in Christian history, apart from the actual ministry and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the miraculous conversion of this guy, Saul of Tarsus. The one who, as we saw a few weeks ago, he oversaw the execution of the very first Christian martyr. We kind of compared that to the, the shot heard around the world uh, in 1775. I mean, just it was like this Saul started the war on Christianity. I mean, he oversaw that beginning, like where it just was declared war on Christians. Saul was the first, honestly, just he's a, he was a terrorist, uh, the first terrorist to try to extinguish. Christianity. And we're going to see his encounter today with Jesus. So today we're going to recognize some specific things that the Lord did in Saul's life uh, in just an instance. And maybe just as importantly, we're going to see how a lot of those very same things apply even to us uh, in our life today. And one thing's for certain that this story tells us, if God could save Saul... This, this terrorist, this, we're going to see the words used as he, he was breathing threats and murder against Christians. If God could save Saul and then even use him for God's own glory, use him, that means he can save you and use you for his glory. That, that's not a far-fetched idea, right, when you think about that. That, that also means that he can save your friends and family who you think there's no way they will ever love Jesus. The name Jesus will never come out of their mouth unless it's sort of dripping with sarcasm or cynicism or hatred. Those, those people in your life that you love, this story tells us, reminds us, even as we sang Psalm 77, it, we look at our circumstances and think there's no way, but when we look at God's history, I'm going through the sea, the Red Sea. We look at God's history. We look at Saul of Tarsus. We go, those people in our life that we think there's no way they will ever say the word. Now, the word shown that is used here uh, in, in Greek is the word that they use usually to describe a lightning strike. Uh, and I know we don't get, like, great lightning storms here at all, but, um, but any of you who have been to the Midwest or been in a really just awesome lightning storm, uh, you know that when those things are direct overhead and that flash happens, it doesn't just like light everything up like a flashlight so you can see it, it's just white. I mean, it's just like white and that's it. Uh, it is blinding, you know, or maybe like if you're, you know, with a you know, bunch of photographers that are just flashing lights, I mean, that's what it is. It's not this distant, bright source like a sun, it is just white. And that's the kind of word that's being used here. This shine was like a lightning strike. But now imagine a lightning strike or a flash photography is just a split second. Now this light is shining for a few moments as Jesus speaks with Saul. And it's interesting that immediately Saul knows that whoever's speaking to him is God. He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he hears what couldn't have been any worse answer that he could have possibly imagined. The voice says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. Saul finds out that he has been persecuting Jesus, a man that he thought was already dead. This is Saul's worst nightmare. Saul, now the, the hunter, 
has become the hunted. The hunter has become the hunted. He's hunting down people of the way, wanting to silence the message of Jesus. Now he realizes he's being hunted by Jesus. If you recall a few weeks ago, I mentioned that when Stephen's accusers were wanting to kill him, it really wasn't Stephen that they wanted to kill. It was his message. It was the gospel. It was Jesus that they wanted to kill all over again. They really didn't have a problem with Stephen. They had a problem with what Stephen was saying. Stephen, yeah, no big deal. Just a nice guy, but they don't like what he's saying. They don't want to kill Stephen. They want to kill the message. They want to kill Jesus over and over and over and over again. That's what they want to do. And here, Jesus confirms that very thing. When his people are attacked, they're attacking him. Saul's not chasing down Jesus in Damascus. He's chasing people of the way. But Jesus says, you chase them down, you're chasing me down. We have to understand that how deeply Jesus identifies with, with you and with me. He deeply identifies with you and me. So much so that when someone persecutes you, they're persecuting him. He, he takes that very personal. And so now Saul's face to face with the one that he's been persecuting. And he realized that it is Jesus who is indeed the Lord. But rather than God Almighty executing this blasphemer, this terrorist, right on the spot, which he could have rightly done, God spares him. He saves him. He spares his life. And now look what happens next in verse 10. There is a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And then he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias. So he's saying, he's, he's waiting for you. He knows that a guy named Ananias is going to come to him, lay hands on him so that he can regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And just by the way, that's the first time we see the word saints being assigned to believers. So it just means holy ones, sanctified ones, set apart ones. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So word had already spread to Damascus. Everyone knows that Saul is coming with these papers, these extradition papers. So he knows. He's like, I, I know about this guy. You, you want me to go to him? Like the Saul of Tarsus or, or someone else? Because I don't really want to do that. And, that. and that makes sense. It's understandable. I mean, this is, this is like the Lord telling one of us to, you know, say, you know, a handful of years ago, uh, go and share the gospel with Osama bin Laden. Uh, go find him, lay hands, pray for him. And you're just like, I don't think so. I don't, and then the Lord's like, no, he's, he's become a Christian now. He's a good guy now. You're going, yeah, I don't really think so. Like, can we just wait this one out like a few years just to kind of test the waters a bit? But the Lord's like, no, go now. Go now. And that's how quickly the Lord even changed Saul. The Lord's telling Ananias, go and meet this guy. He's waiting. Ananias is like, are you serious? I, 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 don't, I don't want to do this. But then the Lord said to him, he is, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house. Ananias says, I'll go, Lord. You want me to go and speak to Osama bin Laden? I'll go. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. So again, as I mentioned, there's, if there's one main thing we can take from this is that no one is beyond the saving grace and mercy of God. No one. No one. I want you just to think, just for a second, you know, I don't want to do this like in a judgy way, but like think about some of the most, like the people who just, I don't want to say the worst people you know because that sounds terrible, but like, but just think of people in your life, you're just going, I just can never see them ever becoming a moral person, a kind person, a person who loves Jesus. Try to think through a few names real quick. Think through a few names, just people that have maybe mocked you for your faith, you know, whatever it is, people in your life, even maybe, you know, maybe it could be celebrities, whatever. I mean, think through some of those people and say to yourself, Jesus can save them and then use them. No one is beyond God's grace. No one is beyond his mercy. There was no one more unlikely to be saved than Saul of Tarsus. He was truly indeed like an Osama bin Laden. But here's the thing, that the reason that no one is beyond the grace of God is because salvation is not dependent on the person. That's where we get messed up. We look at the people and we think, here's why they could never become Christians. Their hearts are so hard. This, this, and this. They grew up this way. Church, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If it was dependent on the people then absolutely, those people you thought of, no way they're going to get saved. No way Saul of Tarsus is going to get saved. But guess what? No way Joby's going to get saved. No way you're going to get saved. This is instead not dependent on the person, but it's dependent on God. It's dependent not on their goodness or their potential, but on God's goodness and willingness to give mercy. To give mercy, his willingness. And this is good news for us and it's good news for those that we love. John chapter 1, verse 11. John says, he, Jesus, came to his own people. He came to the Hebrews, to the Jews. But his own people didn't receive him. But to the ones that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave. He gave. They didn't earn, but he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood or the will of their own flesh or the will of man, so it wasn't up to them and like how smart and how much potential they had and you know how soft their heart was towards the Lord. It was not according to the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. It was God giving that gift of repentance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift, gift, gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me. Saul didn't choose Jesus. He was choosing to kill 
Jesus' followers. But Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If it's not for the merciful interruption in our lives, God mercifully interrupting our lives, we would, be, we would be doomed. We would never be born again. I mean, think about Saul. Do you think he's on his way to Damascus going to like a, a seeker-sensitive synagogue to try to like, he just wants, he has a few questions about this Jesus guy. I'm just going to do some inquiries. I'm, I'm kind of curious. There was no seeking in Saul's heart. He wasn't going there just to kind of learn a little bit. And, you know, he just, he was going there breathing murderous threats. He wasn't looking to go find a, a Jesus to, to worship. He was set in his heart, set in his mind, hunting Christians, breathing these threats, and he had the authority to do so. And you and I, even if you were maybe raised in a Christian home, that, that doesn't guarantee that we're, we're born again and alive on the inside. But you and I, if we're, if we're saved, it's only because God, out of his own goodness, his own goodness, his own patience, he chose to show you mercy. He showed you grace. And it's not our own doing. It's not our own morality. It's not our potential to be good or how much scripture we know or how much we went to church when we were kids. It's not our own ability to do Christian things. God saw you and I who were dead in our sins. And like Saul, we were enemies because we went our own way, and, we sh and he shone his light into our hearts, shone his light upon us into our darkened hearts. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Some of you might not remember being part of that domain of darkness. You've been a believer for a long time, or maybe you met Christ at a young age, or you were raised in a Christian home, so your, your salvation, you don't really know when it happened. It happened in a moment, but you don't know when that moment was, because it was just kind of this, you know, kind of goes from black to gray to white, and you look back, so maybe you don't remember that you were part of the kingdom of darkness at one point in your life, but rest assured, you were. Every single person in this room, at one point in our life, we were part of the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't matter if you were, you know, you say like, well, I've known Jesus my whole life. And, I'm, and, and you know, you know of Jesus your whole life. But at one point, you were part of the kingdom of darkness. And at one point, whether you were 7 or you were 10 or 14 or 18 or whatever, God saved you. He saved you and he transferred you from that kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of light. God's word tells us if, if you, Lord, if you deal with us according to our sins... Who could stand? Who could stand? It's only because he chose to deal with you out of the abundance of his own goodness and save you. Not according to your goodness, but his. What's incredible about Saul's conversion from darkness to light is how quickly his heart and his mind changed. So I want to look at four things that we kind of see immediately happen in the story. Uh, the four bullet points are in your, your notes there too. Well, the first thing we, we kind of see is his conversion leads immediately to a, a surrender. He doesn't fight back. 
He doesn't argue. He, he, he realizes right away he is not the one in charge anymore. He submits himself right away to this, this Jesus. In some ways, he had no choice. He was blind, so he, he just had to do what, what he was told. But he rose, he went to the city, and eventually after receiving his sight, he was immediately baptized. So three days go by, and he's like, I want to be baptized. So there was a conversion, but there was an immediate surrender to Jesus, despite his history, despite his resume as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he surrenders. Something else we see is that Saul, as a new creation, he has a new identity. You might have picked this up when I was reading earlier. Look at verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. First of all, I just note that the faith of Ananias there. The Lord speaks, and Ananias, I mean, he's hesitant. He's like, this guy's kind of gnarly, but, but when the Lord speaks again, Ananias says, Lord, if you say so, then he's, he's, he's saved. He's born again. He's my brother now. He's my brother. Saul has a new identity. He is a brother. The enemy is now a brother. He's welcomed into the family of God, just like the unlikely and unwelcomed Ethiopian that we saw last week. Full acceptance into the family. So also the Saul, who's also unlikely, just like the Ethiopian, Saul, the persecutor now, was welcomed in this family of Christ as a brother. It's incredible to see. We go from this Ethiopian and then to Saul of Tarsus, both brought into full membership into the body of Christ as a brother. That's amazing. Thirdly, we see this new creation has a new purpose. He's not just saved for salvation, but he's saved for a mission. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Saul's been, a cho he's been chosen to be an instrument of the Lord. He's chosen Saul before he was ever a persecutor, before he was a Pharisee, before he was even born. He chose, God chose to use Saul despite all the evil that he did, all the ways that he tried to kill Christ over and over and over again. God chose to use him as an instrument to carry the name of Jesus to Gentiles and beyond. And lastly, we see also that Saul's given new sight. Verse 18, immediately something like scales, almost like probably like contact lenses or something that fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Saul's physical blindness and new sight is very real for him here, but for us it's even this, this metaphor of what happens to the person who was first walking in darkness, walking in that kingdom of darkness, but then brought into the light. We get new vision. We see life differently. We see uh, our, our role on this earth differently. We see sin differently. And from this day forward, Saul is going to see everything differently than he ever did before. Now, of course, all this relates to us as well, and Paul even tells us this. First um, Timothy chapter 1, we get this uh, great description from Paul. This is much later after he's been converted, of course, and he's going to recount to Timothy a little bit about his background and his salvation. But then he 
shares this really awesome thing at the end of this. So um, you can follow along with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I thank him. I thank God who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me to be faithful. He appointed me to his service. Even though formally I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent, but, but something changed. I want you already to just think about yourself here, right? You, you kind of know the list of things that you've done that feel like you could sort of disqualify yourself from God using you, whatever. So you can have your little list there, but we have this word, but, but I received mercy. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So we should fully accept this next thing he's gonna say. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I mean, it's interesting that Paul stops right there and he goes, because everything we should receive from Paul, right? But he stops and he says, this saying is trustworthy and we should receive this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not the righteous, not the good folks, not those who are trying hard, that have potential. That, so that, those people that you thought of earlier in the sermon, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners save sinners of whom Paul says I'm the foremost I'm the king of the sinners I, I pulled the first trigger against the church I started the war on Christianity I am the chief of all sinners there's no one worse than me Paul's saying I got we got the king of kings over here got the king of sinners over here that's how Paul views himself but then we have this fantastic word for us again but again I received mercy, mercy, mercy. I received mercy for this reason. Here's why God gave Paul mercy. Paul knows this now. I received mercy for this very reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the king of all sinners, Jesus Christ would display his perfect patience as an example to those who would in the future believe in him for eternal life. So, so Paul's saying the reason why God gave me, the king of sinners, the guy who pulled the trigger on the church, the reason he saved me is because he wants me to be an example to everyone else in the future who thinks there's no way that God could save this person, that person, no way God could save me. He's saying, no, that's why God saved me, to show the world that he can save anybody. Paul, Paul knows this. He's like, I'm, I'm the, like there's, there's no one worse than me. And so God gave me mercy so that he could display his patience, his perfect patience. So when you think of your friends, your family, and you lose patience for them, you can be reminded, God has perfect patience. He saved Saul, the persecutor, the terrorist. I guarantee you, and you'll probably challenge me on this, none of your family members are worse than Saul. You'll probably challenge me on that one, but it's true. It's true. Paul says in hindsight that he knows that he received mercy from God so that Jesus would show the world his patience, that his patience towards Saul be an example to others who would eventually believe. So, so that means to me, I think that if God saved Saul 
for you to be an example to you, to be an example to me. He, he saved Saul so that you and I would have an example of God's desire to save sinners. I think if God saved Saul to be an example for you and me, I kind of have to even ask myself, who did he save me to be an example for? If he's going to use Saul to be an example to people and their salvation, and in a very significant way, obviously his story is in the Word of God, so it's very different. But I also think if he saved me, a sinner, who is he wanting me to be an example to? Who, who is he putting in my life that I can also be an example for? Because they're not, some of my, my non believing friends and family, they're not reading the Bible, they don't know the story, but I can be like Saul to them. I can be the example of God saving a weak, foolish person. That's a valid question for us to ask. He saved Saul for the purpose of being an example to us. So our question can be, who did he save you for? To put you on display, to put your story on display. Now your, con your conversion might not look like Saul's did, something super radical. But Saul's salvation also is an example for us. And so we can consider the same four things, the same four observations for our own life, because you are also supposed to be on display for your non-believing friends, families, and complete strangers. So let's think of these four things again. Firstly, our conversion must lead to surrender. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, if you're of the way, your life should be marked by surrender. Surrender. At whatever point you've recognized Christ as Lord, something just changes in you. You begin to have a desire and a, a pursuit to surrender your life to him. And surrendering is one of the most important steps in our walk with him. But surrendering is also an ongoing and everyday action for us. It's not just that I didn't just surrender my life on August 21st, 1997, and then I'm just like set in motion. No, I got to surrender on November 6, 2022. I got to surrender tomorrow, November 7th, 2022. I got to surrender every single day, not just once, not just once. Every day, our lives should be marked by surrender, immediate obedience like Saul did, just getting up and getting baptized. We have to do that until the day that we see him face to face, daily surrender. Secondly, also, you and I, we have a new identity. Paul shared his resume persecutor, blasphemer, insolent opponent, self-righteous, all these things. What is your resume? And I don't mean for you to you know, dig up your past or anything, but when you think through, like, what is your resume? What are the things that you kind of think, like I said earlier, just kind of disqualify? You think, God, I'm damaged goods or whatever it might be. Whatever your flesh or the enemy tries to tell you, you don't have this kind of personality, this kind of talent, whatever. What's your resume? Whatever it is, Guess what? As Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. You receive mercy because Jesus came to save sinners. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, don't you know the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And you might have some of your resume here. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. 
But here's the good news for us. Such were, were, were some of you. But, that beautiful word, but you were washed. That's your new identity. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were turned into a saint. That's the same root word there, saint and sanctified. Set apart one, holy one. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your new identity, like Saul, you are now a brother or sister of Jesus himself. You're now his brother or his sister and also with his people. You're a brother or sister. You're not that list of all those things on that resume. That is not your identity any longer. You're a brother or sister of Jesus Christ, the Lord, and a brother or sister of of the people in this room who profess Christ and of every saint that has walked this earth the entirety of church history. That's your new identity. Going back to John 1, you're, you're a child of God, given that gift to be a child of God. You've been welcomed into the family. You've been welcomed and accepted. You're part of the kingdom of light. And you can't be thrown back to the, the kingdom of darkness because you're his from now on. No one and nothing can snatch you out of your father's hands. He's stronger than all. That's your identity. And not only that, but your, your previous resume might even be the very thing that brings glory to the Lord. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, here's Paul again talking about his past. He says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism. You guys know my story. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I tried to destroy the church. And I was advancing in Judaism. I was doing good. I was climbing the ladder beyond many of my own age. I was excelling. I was skipping grades when it comes to Pharisaism. I'm getting past many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I mean, I was good. But, boy, what a great word that is, huh? But he who had set me apart, set me apart to be sanctified, to be a holy one, set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, he was pleased. And I want you just to think through, like, putting your name in here. God was pleased, church. He was pleased to reveal his son to you. God the Father, it it pleased him to say, I want to show my son to you. I want you to know my son. He who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Skipping down to verse 21. Then I I went into the regions of Syria and uh, Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And guess what happened? They glorified God because of me, Paul says. So even your resume, your past, might be the very thing that God actually uses to glorify himself through your life. That's what happened with Saul. Everyone's like, the guy who used to try to kill us is now preaching our Jesus? They glorified God. Thirdly, you're also chosen, also, like Saul, for a mission. When the Lord said to Ananias, 
go because this Saul, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new creation. Saul just became a new creation. The old has passed away. Your old resume, done. Nailed to the cross. Old has passed away. Old identity, gone. Behold, the new has come. Your new identity. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, so here's another gift from God. He's given us salvation, give us the right to be called sons and daughters. Another gift. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, you've been given a ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul's going to explain that. That is, this is what I mean by this, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He didn't count their trespasses against them. He showed mercy. And he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So therefore, because of that, we are, here's, here's your, your mission, your new identity. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. Meaning that God is making his appeal to the world, to sinners. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so what we see here is that you and I, we were given a ministry, all of us. All of us have been given the same ministry. Now, we all have different gifts, we have different personalities, we have different backgrounds, we have different schedules, we have different place of life, we have all those things that are different, but those things are just the vehicle. That's just the vehicle. That's just what carries the cargo. The cargo, though, the ministry that all of us have, we've all been given. I don't care if you're 9 years old, 18 years old, 27 years old, 67 years old, whatever. All of us believers have been given the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that we are all to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us so that people would be reconciled to Jesus. We have the same ministry, just different way that we go about it, all those things. But we've been given this ministry. God wants to appeal to the world through you, through me. Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners, and he wants to reach them through you and me. He has given you a purpose, just like Saul, to be an instrument and to be an example. Saul was saved to be an example for you and me, and you and I were saved to be ambassadors for the sake of others, to be an example for others, God making his appeal through us. And then lastly, we also, like Saul, we get new sight. Again, you might not have had scales fall from your eyes when you were born again, but as you walk with Jesus, he reveals things to you. He shows you things that you never saw before. Maybe it's the depth of your own sin. Maybe it's the height of his love. It might be a person he's brought in your life for you to reach out to. But as you delight yourself in him and you submit yourself to him, and as you surrender yourself to him daily, every day you surrender yourself to him, you, you put on your new identity every single day, God gives you new sight as you go through your life. So as you delight in him, he gives you new desires, new sight for, for things and for people that you never had before because your will is being conformed into his will. Now as we close, I want to remind us of, and kind of highlight this, this important insight that I, I mentioned briefly earlier. 
we saw that Jesus identifies with his people deeply. When his people hurt, he hurts. You can know that he identifies deeply with you. He's near the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. He holds your tears in a bottle. That's what his word says. When we go forward with our surrender, our daily surrender, we don't give in to the world's ways. We start to live out this new mission, this new purpose with our new identity. We're going to find opposition. We're going to be mocked. We're going to lose friends. Our faith is going to be pushed back on. But you remember, it's not you that they're trying to silence. It's Jesus that they're trying to silence. And then when you suffer for his name, you can know that you are representing your Lord. When they want to, they want to silence him, they want to silence the gospel. The problem isn't you and me. The world does not want to hear the gospel. But we know that we are acting as his ambassadors. That is our mission. That is our, our new identity. That's our new sight. Peter says in one of his epistles, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And Jesus again in John 15 says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You guys aren't above me. (laughs) So I'll close with this passage from Paul as he speaks uh, of his previous life. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, and then I'll pray. Thank the Lord for these great gifts that he gives us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says, though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh also, I I know I was a pretty good guy. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more than you. So you think you're pretty good, pretty moral? I got you beat. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. As far as the law goes, I was blameless. As to zeal, a, a persecutor of the church, but whatever gain I had, whatever I gained in my own life, all these great things that I had, I count all of it as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from me obeying the law and being a Pharisee and being a good guy, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, my new identity as a son of God, a brother of Jesus, my Lord. Faith that comes in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, we don't, we, don't, we don't feel righteous, but we don't depend on how we feel, what your, your flesh tells, what your heart, how it condemns you. We, we base our identity on faith, righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
And this is all so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, God, as... uh, sinners in this world that we know that we don't deserve your favor, your grace, your mercy, your love, your patience. And yet, God, you chose against all odds and all reason to show mercy to us, to adopt us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You placed us on this earth in this time, brought about the people in our lives, whether it was our own parents, co-workers, aunts and uncles, childhood friends, whatever it was, you brought people in our lives that were like this, this Ananias. You sent them into our life. And they shared the gospel with us. And you opened our eyes. You gave us a new identity. You gave us a new purpose, a new ministry. So Lord, help us as your people to be the ambassadors that you desire for us to be. Just as you saved Saul to to be an example of your perfect patience towards us, we pray, God, that we also would would daily surrender ourselves to you so that when we're on this new mission with our new identity and our new eyes to see that we also would be ambassadors. You would use us as an example to those in our, our lives so that those people, those folks who have also sinned against you, just like we have, that they would come to know you. So let us not give up hope on those who don't just seem, but are truly so distant from you. It doesn't seem like they're distant. They are distant. We were so distant. But let us not give up hope. Because our hope isn't in them. But we pray for your mercy. So help us, Lord. We thank you. We love you. It's in your son's mighty and beautiful name we pray. Amen.